Section 50 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 3 Tempt Not the Bible. During the next twenty four hours, Ms. Lettieri did not sleep, did not eat, did not drink, kissed Deruchette's brow, inquired after Clubin, of whom no news had yet been received signed a declaration to the effect that he did not intend to present any complaint, and caused Tangrui to be set at liberty. He remained the whole of the following day, half leaning on the table of the office of the Durand, neither standing nor seated, replying gently when anyone spoke to him. Moreover, curiosity having been gratified, solitude reigned at Les Braves. There is much inquisitiveness mingled with eagerness to express sympathy. The door was closed again. Lethierry was left alone with Deruchette. The flash which had gleamed in Lethierry's eyes had died out. The melancholy gaze which he had worn at the beginning of the catastrophe had returned to him. Deruchette, who was troubled, had, on the advice of Grasse and Douce, and without saying anything, placed on the table beside him a pair of stockings which he had been engaged in knitting when the news arrived. He smiled bitterly and said, "'So they think me a fool.' After a quarter of an hour of silence he added, "'These hobbies are good when one is happy.' Deruchette put away the stocking and took advantage of the occasion also to remove the compass and the ship's papers which occupied too much of Ms. Lettieri's attention. In the afternoon, a little before tea-time, the door opened and two men entered, clad in black, one old, the other young. Both these men had a grave air, but their gravity was different. The old man had what may be called state gravity, the young man had natural gravity. Habit gives one, thought the other. They were, as their garments indicated, two ecclesiastes, both belonging to the established church. What would have struck the observer at first sight about the young man was the gravity, which was profound in his glance, and which evidently resulted from his mind and not from his person. Gravity admits of passion and exalts it by purifying it, but this young man was, first of all, handsome. Although a priest he was less than twenty-five years old, he seemed to be eighteen. He presented this harmony and also this contrast, a soul which seemed made for exalted passion and a body for love. He was fair, rosy, fresh, very dainty and very graceful in his severe costume, with cheeks like those of a young girl and delicate hands. He had a lively and natural, though subdued, air. Everything about him was charm, elegance, and almost voluptuousness. The beauty of his glance corrected this excess of grace. His sincere smile, which displayed the delicate teeth of a child, was pensive and devotional. He had the gracefulness of a page and the dignity of a bishop. Beneath his thick, blond hair, so golden that it appeared coquettish, his brow was lofty, honest, and well-formed, 
a slight wrinkle with a double curve between his eyebrows awoke in a confused way the idea of the kind of thought soaring with outspread wings in the center of this forehead one felt on seeing him that he was one of those kindly pure and innocent beings whose progress is in inverse sense with that of vulgar humanity whom illusion renders wise and of whom experience makes enthusiasts his transparent youth allowed his inward maturity to be seen compared with the gray-haired ecclesiastic who accompanied him at the first glance he seemed to be the son at the second glance he seemed to be the father this latter was no other than dr jacquemin herod dr jacquemin herod belonged to the high church which is very nearly the same as a papacy without a pope anglicanism was distracted at about that epoch by tendencies which have since been affirmed and condensed in puseyism dr jacquemin herod was of that shade of anglicanism which is almost a variety of romanism he was tall correct narrow and superior his inner sight hardly pierced to the outside in place of the spirit he had the letter moreover he was haughty his presence was imposing he seemed less like a reverend than a monseigneur his coat was cut a little like a cassock his true place would have been rome he was a born prelate of the antechamber he seemed to have been created expressly to ornament a pope and to walk behind the gestatory chair with all the pontifical court in abito paunazzo the accident of having been born an englishman and a theological education turned more towards the old testament than the new had caused him to miss that great destiny all his splendors were summed up in this to be rector of st pierreport dean of the island of guernsey and surrogate of the bishop of winchester this was not without glory this glory did not prevent jacquemin herod from being a very good sort of man take him all in all as a theologian he held a good place in the esteem of good judges and he almost constituted an authority in the court of arches that sorbonne of england he had an air of learning a knowing and peculiar way of winking his eyes hairy nostrils prominent teeth a thin upper and thick lower lip many diplomas a great stipend baronets for friends the confidence of his bishop and a bible always in his pocket Ms. Lettieri was so completely absorbed that all the effect produced by the entrance of the two priests was an imperceptible frown. Mr. Jacquemin Herod advanced, bowed, referred to his recent promotion in a few soberly lofty words, and said that he was come, in accordance with custom, to introduce to the notable men, and to Ms. Lettieri in particular, his successor in the parish, the new rector of St. Sampson, the Reverend George Ebenezer Caudray, henceforth Ms. Lettieri's pastor. Deruchette rose. The young priest, who was the Reverend Ebenezer, bowed. Ms. Lettieri stared at Monsieur Ebenezer Caudray and muttered between his teeth, A bad sailor. Grace brought forward chairs. 
The two reverend gentlemen seated themselves near the table. Dr. Erod began a speech. He had heard that an event had occurred. The Durand had been shipwrecked. As a pastor he was come to offer his consolation and advice. This shipwreck was unfortunate, but also fortunate. Let us examine ourselves. Were we not puffed up with prosperity? The waters of felicity are dangerous. We must not take misfortunes in bad part. The ways of the Lord are unknown to us. Miss Lethierry was ruined. Well, to be rich is a danger. One has false friends. Poverty removes them. One remains alone. Solus eris. The Durand brought in, it was said, a thousand pounds sterling a year. That is too much for the wise man. Let us fly temptation. Let us disdain gold. Let us accept neglect and ruin with gratitude. Isolation is full of fruits. One obtains grace from the Lord. It was in this solitude that Aja found the hot springs while leading the asses of his father Zebion. Let us not rebel against the inscrutable decrees of providence. Job, that holy man, after his misery, had increased in riches. Who knows whether the loss of the Durand would not have its compensations, even temporal? For instance, he, Jacquemin Herod, had invested capital in a very fine project, now in course of execution in Sheffield. If Mesletieri wished to embark in this affair, the funds which remained to him, he would repair his fortune. It was a great contract of arms for the Tsar, who was preparing to subdue Poland. One could make three hundred percent. The word Tsar appeared to arouse Lethierry. He interrupted Dr. Erod. I'll have nothing to do with the Tsar. The Reverend Erod replied, Miss Lethierry, princes are permitted of God. It is written, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. The Tsar is Caesar. Lethierry, who had half fallen back into his dream, muttered, Who is Caesar? I don't know him. The Reverend Jacquemin Erod resumed his exhortation. He did not insist upon Sheffield. To wish to have nothing to do with Caesar is to be a Republican. The Reverend Gentleman comprehended that one might be a Republican. In that case, let Mesretieri turn his attention towards a republic. Ms. Lethierry could retrieve his fortune in the United States still better than in England. If he wished to increase what remained to him tenfold, he had only to take shares in a great company for developing plantations in Texas, which employed more than twenty thousand negroes. "'I'll have nothing to do with slavery,' said Lethierry. "'Slavery,' replied the Reverend Erode, is a sacred institution. It is written, If the master smite his slave, he shall not be punished, for he is his money. Grace and Deuce, who were in the doorway, were drinking in the words of the Reverend Rector with a sort of ecstasy. The Reverend Gentleman continued, He was, taken him all in all, as we have already said, a good man, and whatever might have been his disagreements as to caste or persons with Ms. Lethierry, 
he had come very sincerely to bring him all the spiritual and even temporal aid which he dr jacquemin herode had at his command if mes Thierry was ruined to such an extent that he could not cooperate advantageously with any russian or american speculation why did not he enter the government service where there were salaried positions there are fine places and the reverend gentleman was ready to recommend Miss Lettieri to them. The office of deputy judge was at that moment vacant in Jersey. Miss Lettieri was esteemed and beloved, and the reverend Herode, dean of Guernsey and surrogate of the bishop, would do his utmost to obtain for Miss Lettieri the place of député vicomte of Jersey. The député vicomte is an officer of importance. He assists as representative of his majesty, at the courts of assize, at the debates of the Sessions House, and at the execution of the decrees of justice. Thierry fixed his eyes on Dr. Herode. "'I don't like hanging,' said he. Dr. Herode, who up to that point had pronounced all his words with the same intonation, was now seized with a fit of severity and used a new inflection. "'Mais Thierry,' the death penalty is divinely ordained. God has given the sword in charge to man. It is written, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. The Reverend Ebenezer drew his chair imperceptibly nearer to the chair of Reverend Jacquemin, and said to him in a manner to be heard by him alone, What this man says is dictated to him. By whom? By what? demanded the Reverend Jacquemin the Ode. Ebenezer replied in a very low tone, "'By his conscience.' The Reverend Herode fumbled in his pocket, pulled out a thick eighteen-mo bound with clasps, laid it on the table, and said aloud, "'Conscience is here.' The book was a Bible. Then Dr. Herode became milder. His desire was to be useful to Mesletieri, whom he held in high esteem. It was his right and duty as pastor to give counsel, but Miss Lettieri was free. Miss Lettieri, again taken possession of by his absorption and his grief, no longer listened. Deruchette, seated near him and also pensive, did not raise her eyes, and mingled with that conversation the quantity of embarrassment which is afforded by a silent presence. A witness who says nothing is a sort of indefinable weight. However, Dr. Herode did not seem conscious of it. As Lettieri made no further replies, Dr. Herode allowed himself full swing. Counsel comes from man and inspiration from God. In counsel, said the priest, there is inspiration. It is good to accept counsels and bad to reject them. Sokoth was seized by eleven devils for having disdained the admonitions of Nathaniel. Tabrianus was struck with leprosy because he thrust the apostle Andrew from his house. Jesus, magician as he was, became blind for laughing at the words of St. Paul. Elxai and his sisters Martha and Martina are in hell at the present hour for having despised the warnings of Valencianus, who proved to them as clearly as the day that their Jesus Christ thirty-eight leagues in height was a demon. Ulebama, who is also called Judith, obeyed counsel. Reuben and Peniel hearkened to counsel from on high. 
Their names alone suffice to indicate this. Reuben signifies son of the vision, Peniel signifies the face of God. Ms. Leterie struck his fist upon the table. Parbleu, he cried, it was my own fault. What do you mean? asked the Reverend Jacquemin Herod. I say that it was my fault. What was your fault? Because I allowed the Durand to return on Friday. M. Jacquemin Herod murmured in the ear of M. Ebenezer Caudray, This man is superstitious. He continued, raising his voice, and in the tone of instruction, Ms. Leterie, it is puerile to believe in Friday. One must not lend faith to fables. Friday is a day like any other. It is frequently a most auspicious date. Melandes founded the city of St. Augustine on a Friday. It was on a Friday that Henry the Seventh gave his commission to John Cabot. The pilgrims of the Mayflower arrived at Provincetown on Friday. Washington was born on Friday, the 22nd of February, 1732. Christopher Columbus discovered America on Friday, October 12, 1492. Having said this, he rose. Ebenezer, whom he had brought with him, also rose. Grasse and Douce, divining that the reverend gentlemen were about to take their leave, opened both leaves of the door. Ms. Leterie saw nothing and heard nothing. M. Jacquemin Herod said in aside to M. Ebenezer Caudray, He does not even salute us. It is not grief. It is stolidity. We must believe that he has lost his mind. But he took his little Bible from the table and held it between his two outstretched hands, as one would hold a bird, fearing lest it should fly away. This attitude awakened a certain expectation among the persons present. Grasse and Douce thrust in their heads. His voice did its utmost to be majestic. Mes Leterie, let us not part without reading a page of the holy book. The situations of life are illuminated by books. The profane use the sortes virgilianae. Believers take scriptural warnings. The first book at hand, opened at random, gives counsel. The Bible, opened at random, makes a revelation. It is above all good for the afflicted. That which infallibly springs forth from the holy scriptures softens their affliction. In the presence of the afflicted, the holy book must be consulted without choosing the place, and the passage upon which one alights must be read with candor. What man does not choose, God chooses. God knows what we need. His invisible finger is on the unexpected passage which we read. Whatever be the page, light infallibly proceeds from it. Let us seek no other. Let us cling fast to that. It is the word from on high, and destiny is mysteriously revealed to us in the text invoked with confidence and respect. Let us listen and obey. Mes Leterie, you are in sorrow. This is the book of consolation. You are ailing. This is the book of health. The Reverend Jacquemin Herod pressed the spring of the clasp, slipped his nail at a venture between two pages, laid his hand for a moment on the open book, and collected himself. Then, 
dropping his eyes authoritatively, he began to read in a loud voice. What he read was as follows. Isaiah walked in the road which leadeth to the well called the well of him that liveth and seeth. Rebekah, having beheld Isaac, said, Who is this man that is come to meet me? Then Isaac brought her into his tent, and took Rebekah for his wife, and he greatly loved her. Ebenezer and Deruchette exchanged glances. End of chapter 3. Tempt Not the Bible.